My name is Steve Nicholson. Until last year, I pastored a vineyard church in Chicago area called Evanston Vineyard Church, which I led for 45 years, but I am now happily retired. And now I'm doing just the fun bits. So I kind of interrupted because my first point is actually about failure tonight, which nobody knew. And they were just going on and on. I think, well, I might as well just like jump in with the party here. You know, in reflecting about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, um, I think what we sometimes overlook is the role that failure has in opening us up to a greater work of the Holy Spirit. Now, my story goes like this. I, my father was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor in the Pentecostal church. All my relatives were Pentecostal Christians, like all of them, on both sides of the family. And we went to church three times a week, two times and you're backsliding. And I got saved hundreds of times, as you do in a Pentecostal church. You know, just got to make sure every time. And uh, my parents, you know, we had a great family life. Um, they told me every day that they loved me and were physically affectionate and, you know, just lots of positive reinforcement there. I did really well in school. I never, you know, uh, really actually never got anything less than top grades. And uh, when I was about 17, you know, really made a commitment to the Lord. Uh, because you have to, you know, when you grow up in the church, there comes a point where you have to decide for yourself. Are you going to follow this? And I was getting ready to go to uni, and I thought, you know, when I go to university, I can be any kind of person I want. What kind of person do I want to be when I get there? And I just kind of looked around at everybody I knew and my friends and their parents and their families. And after about nine months of thinking about it and looking around, I just decided, you know, it just seems like the Christians live better lives. And I think that's what I want to do. Parenthetically, I began speaking in tongues when I was 11, which was a little bit late for the Pentecostal church, but, you know, I managed to get across the line. Um, so I decided, you know, I'm going to, like, be a Christian. And I thought about my life in the future at university and then after and getting married and having a family and thought, you know, I want to follow Jesus. So I thought, if I'm going to follow Jesus for the whole rest of my life, I'm going to stop being half-hearted. So I prayed this prayer, okay, God, we have an agreement as of today that from now on, everything that happens in my life is going to be your will, even if I ask for something different, which he has been very faithful to uphold his part of the bargain. <laughs> I went to university, and again, success followed me. I, when I got there, it was a secular school. I found three other believers 
but God began to move. It was the Jesus movement time. And by the time I finished university, we had 10% of the student body in our CU group. And we sort of accidentally started my first church. That's another story. I finished uni and went to Chicago because I had school debts and I needed a job. I got a job with uh, the equivalent of your inland revenue, auditing people's taxes, which I always tell people was fun on my side of the desk. <laughs> Not always so fun on the people for the people on the other side. But I needed a church to go to, and long story short, I couldn't find one that was a church I liked, and so I started another church. When I mentioned this morning, I'd started that church because I wanted a church that I liked. So started another church. And then in 1981, my wife and I felt called to go and like start a satellite congregation in an inner city neighborhood of Chicago. Uh, populated mostly by Spanish-speaking people and a lot of second-generation um, people. And I really thought that I would just go down there and I would do what I'd done before and I would have success. Because I'd never had anything but success. I just always saw people coming to Jesus. Well, what happened when I got down there, the first thing was it felt like the presence of God left my life. Like somehow... He turned right, I turned left, and I didn't feel God's presence. And growing up like I did, that was like, I never experienced anything like that. And then, nothing happened. Nobody got saved. Nobody was interested in what we were talking about. You know, we kind of thought, you know, if we have... Contemporary music in small groups, they'll all want to be in it. But they already had contemporary music, and they already had small groups called gangs. And it wasn't long. Every day, I felt like I was failing. Day after day after day. And what happened was... I became severely depressed. I didn't know what it was, actually. It was 1981. Uh, I didn't know very much about mental illness, but I was severely depressed. You know, I, if I knew what I knew now, I would, like, have sent myself to the doctor and gotten some meds to help me with my mood. As it was, I could hardly get out of bed many days. And it was very difficult to pray. I... Uh, Tried all kinds of things, you know, like, okay, I got the lesson, God, you know, enough already. But it continued. I tried threatening God. God, if you don't do something by thus and so date, I'm leaving. I discovered that God is very secure. <laughs> My dates came and went, and he hadn't done anything, and I was still there. <laughs> Eventually, I decided I'm going to close this church. I'm just gonna, we're just going to give it up. I had a team with me, and I called the team meeting. I was going to announce at the team meeting, no, we have no fruit. Nobody's come to Jesus. We've been here two and a half years. There's nothing happening. Let's quit and go back. The day before the meeting, George Claudio gave his life to the Lord, and I was so unhappy. 
I was angry. I thought, now why did he go and do that for? Because like now, I can't close the church because we got this baby Christian now. We have to stay and take care of this guy. And I thought, I can't get this church to go. I can't even kill this church. Long story short, it happened that it turned out that George had a lot of relatives in that neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, very many, lots of relatives. And little by little, more and more of them came to Jesus. The church got established. And then we met the vineyard. And, you know, God brought me out of that season of, of uh, desolation. But uh, I wasn't the same. At the beginning, I was strong and confident and full of energy and assumed that I could do anything and kind of a little bit arrogant and at the end, felt weak. In fact, I even at one point prayed and I asked God, I said, like, when am I going to be strong again? And he said, you're not. And I said, why not? says, because then you'd rely on yourself instead of me. You see, it turned out that the church wasn't so much the project as it was me. I was the project. And what needed to happen was failure. So that I would learn to rely on him and not on myself. It was the most powerful experience of God's love and grace in my whole life. It was terrifying and painful, but it was God all the way. And everything that's happened since then has its origin there in the failure. The more that God calls us, the greater the call, the more necessary it is that he brings us to the end of ourselves. So Joseph is brought to the point where he's ripped from his family, enslaved, and ultimately imprisoned. And there, God begins his work. Daniel wrote from his family, carted off as an exile to a foreign land, never saw his family again, most likely made a eunuch, and it was there that God began his work. David was rejected by his own family and his father-in-law and on the run as an outlaw and spent a long time with all the ruffians and the worst parts of society hiding in a cave. And it was there that God began his work in him. So failure is sometimes a necessary part of opening us up to the greater work of the Holy Spirit. It would be so easy to be content with what we had before. It would have been easy to be content with a little bit of prophecy and a little bit of speaking in tongues 
and a lot of Steve. And I would have been so short-changed if that's the way it had been. So that's the first principle. Sometimes we have to begin in failure. And if you find yourself in a place of weakness, in a place where you don't know how you can go on, in a place of failure, you may actually be closer to the greater work of God than you imagine. You know, there's a, a Roman Catholic Christian mystic that I have found very helpful to, over the years. His name is Thomas Merton. He, he wrote a lot in the 1950s, 1940s. And uh, he said, you know, it is better to live life on the edge of despair and constantly needing the mercy of God than to have never needed God's mercy because the mercy of God is that good. Yeah? The mercy of God is that good. And, uh, you know, I've learned strategies to deal with, you know, um, the shadow of depression that dogs me. It's been a long time since I've fallen down the hole. Those of you who've been depressed will know what I'm talking about. But it's always there. I'm not any stronger. And it's wonderful because I'm not relying on me. You know, the second thing is sometimes something has to happen to you before it can happen through you. <clears throat> and this was sort of the next stop for me. You know, Jesus told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the Spirit to come. Don't leave until he does. You need something to happen to you so that when you go, you will minister in my power. And that's what happened to me. You know, it's interesting. When Jesus talked to his disciples, he says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the word baptized means to be like dunked, overwhelmed, completely inundated. It means to be swept away, overtaken. Um, the plan is not simply that we should admit that the Holy Spirit exists. That's not the plan. Nor is the plan that we should get a nice safe taste of the Holy Spirit. You know, just a little bit, but not too much. That is not the plan. <clears throat> the plan is not that we should dip our toe in the water or play in the shallow end of the pool as in regards to the work of the Spirit. No, the plan is to have more of the Spirit than you know what to do with. The plan is to have so much of the Spirit that you really cannot be in control that you have to give control over to him. So he intends for us to be overwhelmed. I've, I've had in the last few years <coughs> some younger pastors come and they say to me, we want to know what your secret is. 
Because every time you go places, things happen. So, <coughs> excuse me, I'm fighting a little bit of a sinus cold. But, um, you know, we, we everywhere, every time you go somewhere, things happen. So what's your secret? Like, do you fast? You know, is it the Dr. Pepper? What is it? <coughs> and I laughed. And I said, it's nothing I do. It's not what I do. It's what was done to me. By the way, water won't help. <laughs> it's not that kind of cough. You got to do something to dry up these parts right up here. Anyway, it's nothing that I do. It's what he did. It's what was done to me. Let me tell you what happened. <laughs> the first thing that happened is a friend of mine <coughs> invited me to kind of come out and check out the vineyard. We'd heard about the vineyard. We'd been listening to some vineyard tapes, cassette tapes which kind of dates it, okay? So most of you aren't old enough to have ever seen a cassette tape, but some of you maybe. Thank you, anyway. And uh, so we went to check it out. And there was a small group of people there, not very many. And, my, and Wimber was speaking. This is my first time I'd seen him. And he gave a little talk about how leaders need to be servants which probably we could stand resurrecting at this point in time. And then he just said, you know, I think the Holy Spirit wants to do something. Everybody stand. And we all stood up and he said, just relax. You can open your eyes or close your eyes. And I thought this was very interesting because there was no, no emotion. There was no music. We hadn't sung a bunch of songs. Always in the Pentecostal church, you had to end with some kind of song, like Just As I Am, and sing it 15 times to kind of get things cranking. And uh, there was none of that. And, you know, so then he just says, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. And we're like waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, 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 waiting. And I'm thinking, I knew it, the Holy Spirit's busy somewhere else. And then he points to this guy in the front row and he says, see, the Holy Spirit's coming on him. And I'm looking at that guy for the life of me, I couldn't see anything. I thought, what am I looking for? Am I looking for doves? Is it lights? What does the Holy Spirit look like? What do you mean? What kind of glasses do you have? And he goes up to this guy, puts his one finger up, touches the guy's forehead, and the guy starts sobbing. I'm thinking, oh, that's interesting. Then the guy's wife starts sobbing. Next to him, I thought, well, that figures. She's probably been waiting for him to break down for 10 years. <laughs> then it all gets quiet again, and we're waiting. And while we're waiting, this lady who's in the row behind me, she's about five seats over, so she's just in my peripheral vision. She starts doing this. And I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, oh, she's weird. Where are the ushers? She's got a problem. You know, California, you know, full of weird people. You know, just all kinds of judgment about her and what she was doing there. Because I didn't really understand. And all of a sudden, John said, now receive the Holy Spirit. And it was like a fist hit me in the chest. Just boom. And just about knocked me over my chair. And my first thought 
time kind of slowed down at this moment. I went into some special zone, and my first thought was, I must regain control of my body right away so I don't look like her. <laughs> like, that was my first concern. What am I going to look like? And that's how we are sometimes. Like, when the Holy Spirit comes, we're afraid, what is it going to look like? And then I thought, wait, hold on. I just got hit by God. Since when does God hit people? Somebody said God was a gentleman. Whoever said that was a liar. And then I thought, then I remembered Saul on the road to Damascus, and I thought, well, it could be worse. I can still see. <laughs> um, and then I thought, hold on. Like, that was real. Like, that was really real. Like, that, that wasn't emotion. That wasn't some theoretical concept. That was real. He's like real. He's really here. His power's in this room. And I realized in that moment that this Pentecostal boy had the place inside his heart where I didn't actually believe the Holy Spirit was for real. And I started repenting of my unbelief. And when I repented of my unbelief, my whole body went numb. <coughs> I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I was aware of everything around me, but couldn't move and couldn't speak. And I found myself tottering over. And my friends were catching me and saying, what are we going to do with him now? And they just prayed everything they could think of for the next hour. And I didn't hear anything from God until the very end. <clears throat> and he said, I'm not done with you yet. Which is like, you know, when you hear that, like, that might be good, might not be so good. I'm not done with you yet. So then, we went to like every service, a whole bunch of small groups, we went to everything they were doing that week. We had meetings lined up with every pastor, and we went through day after day after day after day. Nothing happened. We get down to the last day. We were finally down to meeting with the youth pastor. And we went to meet with him, and he had left because some homeless guy had come in and needed food, and he had gone off to have lunch with the homeless guy and wasn't going to be back for two hours. And I was pretty ticked about it because we were going to be delayed, and I was just tired. And my, the two guys that were with me said, well, let's just get the guitar out of the rental car and let's just go into the auditorium and we'll just worship. And I thought, I don't want to worship. I want to stand out here and complain about this delayed meeting. But you can't say that when you're the pastor. So my plan was, okay, I'm going to go in with them and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sing just enough so they think I'm worshiping. But I won't be worshiping. I will not be worshiping on the inside. I don't know if you've ever done that. <laughs> but that was what I was doing in that moment, sort of. I was still <clears throat> not happy with how God was doing things. So we get in there, and they start off, and I'm doing my thing. And all of a sudden, I feel, in the middle of this giant cavernous warehouse, nobody else is in there, just a wind on my face. And I'm thinking, is that the Holy Spirit coming? I'm still trying to figure this whole thing about the Holy Spirit coming out. Is that the Holy Spirit coming? And then one of the guys gets up, comes over, and he puts his hand right there where the wind was coming. And instantly, 
I had no strength in my body. Like all, all muscle control was gone, just boom. I was like a jellyfish, just sliding out of my seat onto the floor. And uh, when I got down there, what happened was fire came, like a rod of fire started running up and down my body, like, you know, starting at my feet and then going up to my head and then going back down again. And as it was going up, my body would shake and tremble as it was moving up and down. And I could hardly breathe. And it was coming in waves, you know, so there'd be like a bunch of it and then it would kind of calm down and then it would come again. There'd be another wave. And each successive wave was stronger than the one before. Eventually, my friends left and went to the meeting. They left me alone there with God. And at one point I thought, if God like bumps the dial just a little bit, I will die. I'm like, I'm right up there where any more of this and I'm going to be dead. This continued for three and a half hours of fire. And what was happening was God was burning out my fear of what people would think. He fiercely, fiercely, passionately was determined that I was not going to live in that fear another day. And you know, we all have different things that hang us up, but he really fervently wants us to be free. And, you know, John the Baptist said that when Jesus came, he would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I think he was talking about that kind of thing, fire, the the cleansing fire that sets us free. And that is also part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that we would be overwhelmed and we would be set free. Then the Holy Spirit begins leading us into ministry and all kinds of things start happening. You know, it, it, it happens everywhere I go. Well, this summer, I was helping with some churches in another city and I was, it had been a long weekend and I was getting on the plane to come home. This is one of these smaller planes, two seats on a side. And it's going to be about a two-hour flight. So I got on and I thought, I'm going to put my earbuds in. I'm going to listen to gospel music because that's my music. That's what picks me up. That's how I got through the pandemic was gospel music. And uh, I got them in my hands. And this guy, my seatmate, shows up. He sits down, immediately turns to me and says, I'm on my way home on the worst day of my life. And so I'm like, okay, guess I'm not going to be listening to gospel music today. And so I ended up talking to him and praying for him the entire way home. And it's just like, things like that happen all the time. I get on the subway to go downtown Chicago every once in a while. And about half of the time when I get on, I'll be on the subway. There's a dozen other people sitting on the train. We'll go to a stop. Somebody gets on, they look up and down the whole car to see where to sit, 
and they come and sit right next to me and immediately burst into tears. And I was like, how do they know? <laughs> you know, how do they know? So, you know, things just start happening. Once you've been overwhelmed, things start happening. <coughs> There's one more step I want to talk to you about in the walking with the Spirit. In Luke 4, it tells us that after Jesus was baptized and filled with the Spirit at the River Jordan, heavens opened and he heard the voice of God saying, You're my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and there's glory and power all around. The next thing it says, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And in the wilderness, the only voice he heard was the voice of the devil. And the test was, will you believe and will you be faithful to what you know is true in the wilderness when you can have nothing else to support you? Where there's nothing but the voice of the devil speaking into your ear. About 12 years ago, I went through the wilderness for three years. Um, for three years, I heard nothing from God. Complete silence. Nothing at all. And I knew what it was. I knew it was the wilderness. And it was just a matter of, will you be faithful and will you hang on? Will you keep believing God? Because on the other side of the wilderness is greater ministry. And... Uh, so I, I, just, I just kept going. I just I kept going. I, I went by what I had. Um, <clears throat> and after about three years, then, it's, then it, it ceased. And I came out, and, and the result has been a greater flow of the Holy Spirit than I've ever had before. Um, so if some of you may find yourself in the wilderness. And again, that is a stopping point on the way to greater things. The key is never doubt in the darkness what you've heard in the light. Stay faithful to what you know. You have the word of God. You can read it and you can do like Jesus did and hang on to the word. You have what God has done before when you were in the light. Never doubt in the darkness what you've heard in the light. And the result will be greater things. And the thing about all of these things, all these steps, is that in the end, it's not about us. It's about God causing us to live a life beyond human explanation so that he gets all the glory. That's it. To live a life beyond human explanation so that he 
gets all the glory.